Hello again, and welcome to Planet Beyond Podcast, brought to you by Fugro, the leading partner in uncovering geodata from the greatest subsea depths up to outer space, and hosted by me, John Baston Pitt. Now today, we're going to meet one of my Fugro colleagues, Charles Tchaikovsky, and we're going to listen to his incredible story. Charles is a pancreatic cancer patient, a survivor of six years, making him one of a very lucky few to be diagnosed with this disease and still be with us even a few months later. He is a living example of what happens when the response to this terrible disease is done well and properly from the beginning. And most importantly, when a quick response is managed. We're also joined by Dr. Chris MacDonald, the Head of Research at Pancreatic Cancer UK, to talk us through the issues the healthcare system faces in diagnosing and treating this disease. Finally, we will learn what more can be done to improve survivability and the quality of life of people who develop these cancers. But let's start with Charles. Maybe maybe you can introduce yourself and tell us more about the journey that you've been on. My name is uh, Charles Tchaikovsky. I'm 63 years old. And as you said, John, I'm a pancreatic cancer survivor uh, to this date. But the journey started a long time ago. It started back in 2016, I would say, where I started becoming type two diabetic. And over that time, it was fine. But then we noticed that my pancreas was starting to to fail. It it started giving me pancreatic attacks and, and it then became acute in its style. And uh, so my GP had to send me to Kingston Hospital to meet with a consult- an upper gastro consultant to find out what's, what's, what's happening with my pancreas. So that was in 2016 going on to 2017. And, and during that time, we found that basically my pancreas was actually di- dissolving itself from the inside out. And it appears that um, there must be some sort of blockage or some sort of problem where the enzymes couldn't uh, release from my pancreas and therefore starting dab- started to damage my pancreas. But at that point, they did not know what was causing it. They called it idiopathic. I had lots of tests uh, over the next two years. I had CT tests, MRI tests. I had an endoscopy. And these were done in various NHS hospitals uh, in Kingston, in Royal Marsden, in St. George's. And none of them could actually work out what the issue was. So my, my uh, consultant at Kingston then sort of pretty much gave up and uh, sent me to Hammersmith Hospital, where there is one of the best leading upper gastro uh, expertise in London. So tell us what happened next, Charles. What were they able to do? I was, uh, again, scanned, monitored, blood tested, and it wasn't until six months later they found that my, as a blood uh, tumour marker called a CA19-9, was starting to rise. And it was, 
it's a log logarithmic scale so it was rising slowly at the beginning but then it started to increase after a biopsy uh well after a scan they discovered there was a a, a, a 10 millimeter tumor on the head of my pancreas so it obviously grew over the last six over that last six months and uh they did a biopsy of that uh, endoscopy and a biopsy of of the tumor and uh they discovered it was actually cancerous and that was in march yeah it was, it was in march 2019 once they discovered i had this uh, tumor on my on the head of my pancreas the professor said to me i'll have to have a look when we can do the operation because the operation to remove that that tumor is called a Whipple's procedure and the Whipple's procedure is where they remove the whole or the majority of your pancreas, your common bile duct, potentially uh, your gallbladder, potentially some of your liver and a chunk of your duodenum all the way from your stomach to past, past where the um, common bile duct joins. That sounds daunting. How, how soon was your doctor able to book you in for the for the operation? He went onto the computer, uh, the NHS computer, and the earliest he could get me into that operation was two to three months' time. There was such a long waiting list for his expertise. Now, as we know, three months is 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 the cutoff line. If you haven't caught it early, and you've allowed it to keep on spreading, majority of people die. Uh, three months within that three month uh, window um, so obviously I looked at my wife and she looked at me horrified and uh, and then he says but do you have private medical do you have bupa and we said yes we do and as a result of that he saw me one week later up at the London Clinic Hospital up in Devonshire Place where I had my Whipple's procedure using the latest technology called a uh, Da Vinci SI robot, which was basically a robot that actually operated on me. Professor Zhao controlled the robot, but it was a robot which looked like an octopus hanging down was going to uh, operate on me. However, because of the complexity of the operation, because of the complexity of uh, pancreatic cancer, I had to write my will. I had to say goodbye to my wife as I went into the, the, the pre-anesthesia room and that was the hardest part as you imagine because I wasn't sure where I was going to wake up you know I, I heard about all the risks involved it's a long operation mine was eight and a half hours and uh, and obviously there's a lot of blood vessels in that area and people could hemorrhage it, it, it's, it's horrific so we had to say goodbye and that was probably one of the hardest moments in my life I have to say luckily at that point just after I said goodbye I had the pre-med injection that started to knock me out and obviously the rest was just darkness. Eight and a half hours later, I was woken up and uh, you know, the first thing I did was I vomited over the nurse when they pulled out the tube out of my throat. So I knew I was alive at that point, which was a hell of a relief. I can imagine. What does the recovery from a, a Whipple's procedure look like? And how many days are we looking at? Now, his record was he could get somebody out of hospital post the Whipples within 14 days using the Da Vinci uh, robot. If you had 
a normal Whipple's procedure, which is when they slice you down the chest and slice you across, it take you months to recover from that. And also uh, high risk of infection, high risk of complications. With, with the Da Vinci SI robot, there was no well, minimal risk. He actually, I recovered, or I was well enough to leave the hospital within 13 days, so I was his record now. You've always been focused on high targets, Charles. Yeah, and it was a target. And I, I tell you what, when you're going through all this, whether it's chemo, whether it's the operation, whatever, you have to fight. You have to fight for a target. You have to set your sights on something to try and achieve because the power of the mind is so strong over the body. And I think because of that, it really helped me to kind of get out of bed, get out of that bed, start moving, even though it hurts, start moving and get myself better. I think I heard you once say that you have to look at every step as a battle, focus on each in turn, win, then move on to the next. As we know, there's no cure for pancreatic cancer. There's no cure. It's all about basically um, trying to solve the problem piecemeal in respect that you know like if a tumor comes up if a, if a new tumor comes up it's how you deal with that next tumor or that next tumor but at the moment it's all about controlling pancreatic cancer okay um so yes yeah, so basically six uh, six weeks later i started a course of fulfurinox which is a gold standard uh, chemotherapy for pancreatic cancer it consists of three drugs uh, three very caustic to the human body drugs, uh, but they have to be because they have to go and you know, search and destroy every potential pancreatic cell that escaped. And uh, yes, that was a battle. So every, for the next six months, so I had 12 cycles, every two weeks, I would go back to the chemo clinic and have three drugs infused in me. Charles, can you explain, for those of us lucky enough not to have experienced it, what it's like to go through chemo? It's hard because a lot of the byproducts of chemo are obviously your immune system gets totally destroyed, so you're susceptible to infections, colds, COVID, etc. It also hammers your brain. You get what we call chemo brain, where you can you just can't think. Your mind's not clear. You you, you sort of struggle with some basic language. You try and think of a word and, you know, you come out with the wrong word even because your brain's a bit mushed up. And, and that stays with you for about a week. And then in the second week, you're fine. But then you have your next cycle. Most people don't make 12 cycles. That's six months because of the difficulty of, of those chemo drugs. I made 12, but I had to really dig deep. I really did. And this was the battle. Everyone had to be a battle. The next one was a battle. And the other thing is, every time you have chemo, it builds. It gets worse. It builds. It gets worse. So the impact on your body gets worse and worse and worse, which is great because you know it's doing its job to hammer those potential cells. But it's hammering all your good cells. It's hammering all your liver function, kidney function, you know, all your, you know, the rest of your body. But if you fight through it, you get through it. And I have to say, I must admit, last chemo, I, I said to my oncologist, I said, can I have a glass of champagne now? He said, you should have a bottle of champagne after all you've been through. 
Well, you definitely deserved it. So that was that journey. And then I had to wait for three more months and then I had to see whether the chemo worked. Now there's no guarantees with any chemo for pancreatic cancer because there's no silver bullet. And three months after chemo finished, they found a couple of dots on my right lung, very small. So then we waited and I got scanned again every three months, uh, CT scan, PET scan, to see how they were growing. Because everybody's got nodes in their lungs. Even if you're healthy, you've got nodes. But these nodes are just natural nodes, they're not, they're not cancerous. But it's the ones that brighten up when you do a, a PET CT scan and they, they stand out on the, on the scan. And they were getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So uh, six months later, after my uh, chemo was finished, I then had to go to the London Clinic Hospital again, where I had my whipples, to have what we call a lung ablation. And that's where they basically stick a, uh, an electrosond through into your lung. That's been a long journey, Charles. I, I can't imagine what it must have been like. Please share with us, what is lung ablation? What, what happens there? So they go in there and they blast them with microwaves. And the great thing about ablation is when they blast them, that's it. The cancer's dead. At that point, it's gone forever. They won't come back at that particular point, which is fantastic. However, um, your lungs are very delicate organs. Uh, my lung actually collapsed and then got, in, got infected uh, because obviously my immune system was still very weak. Uh, so a, a procedure that should have just taken maybe a day or two days in hospital ended up three weeks in hospital. But anyway, everything healed. And then the final bit of treatment, once, once my lungs had healed, was to remove a lymph node that was swelling up rapidly, uh, which obviously was filling up, you know, we obviously kind of filling, a tumour was growing in it. It was one of the set of lymph nodes that they removed, but there were still a few more that they hadn't removed. And that one was right next to my aorta. And that was, that was difficult because they can't use normal radiotherapy with that because of damage they could provide uh, do to the aorta because if they damage the wall of the aorta you hemorrhage and you die basically it's as, it's as simple as that so once again i had the latest technology by genesis care they're based in oxford and uh, they have a system called mr linux what is mr linux can you can you explain to us what that means it's basically, it's like it's, it's a radiotherapy, but it's guided radiotherapy. So you can see you can see a lymph node on a target, and by holding your breath, uh, it would lock the machine and it would fire from all the different angles and hammer that particular lymph node. I had five sessions, five one-hour sessions in two weeks, and uh, I came out with it without any collateral damage with the lymph node killed, basically destroyed. No collateral damage to the aorta, no collateral damage to my surrounding organs, which are normally affected, like the, 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 um, the, uh, the small intestines and you know, all that area. So I thought, great, everything's fine. And since then, I've been clear for two years, up till two weeks ago. As we know, there's no cure for pancreatic cancer, and uh, it's all about controlling it. So where are you now in your journey, Charles? And sadly, two years later, I have 
a two four centimeter tumor has grown in two months so that's how aggressive it is uh, on my perineum which is just below my diaphragm and it's the bag that basically contains all your inner organs holds them all in place the problem with the perineum is it, it's got lots of blood vessels going to it it's, it's obviously in contact with all the other organs so it's probably at the worst possible place to have uh, a tumor growing i also have a small tumor in my lung which isn't a problem so as a result of that we have to urgently start chemo with two different drugs and that starts this coming friday and that's for six for six months every week for uh, once a week for three weeks and then two weeks off and then once once again once a week for three weeks then you'll just carry on after three after three months we'll do scans and we'll see how well the chemo is doing if that particular chemo is not working, uh, we will, there is another chemo my oncologist will try. If that's not working, then we need to look at you know, trials. Maybe there might be some other drugs somewhere out there. But basically, this is how serious it is. This is now trying to, pres rather than, this is trying to preserve life now. Uh, giving me a quality of life and preserve my life as, as far as possible. And it could be anything from six months to, hey, number of years. Who knows? But it is not, uh, it's not a very good situation to be in. And this is why I'm so keen on making sure that every person in the UK is aware of the symptoms for pancreatic cancer and basically sees their doctor as soon as possible, even if it is a false alarm. Because if you don't catch it as early as possible, or can detect it as early as possible, then the journey is hard, long, sometimes successful, sometimes isn't. Charles, thank you for that. Thank you for sharing your story with us. It must feel like an endless trial for you. Every time you overcome one obstacle, another appears. Even now, and even with the care you have access to, it sounds un unimaginable. This feels like the right point to bring in our other guest, Chris McDonald. As I said, Chris is the head of research for the charity Pancreatic Cancer UK. Chris, can you start by explaining what the pancreas actually is and what it does? Yeah, so the pancreas is in your right in the centre of your body. It sits between your stomach and your um, small intestine, essentially, and it its its role in your body is to the first one it has two roles basically the first one is to regulate your blood sugar levels through insulin through the produ production of insulin in your in your bloodstream but it's also the second role and um and and really important is it produces enzymes that digest a portion of the food that you take into your body by digesting it it means that you then get all the nutrients and all the goodness out of the food uh, and then allows you to to basically put on weight, put on muscle to be able to be fit and healthy. So in normal times, we completely take our pancreas for, uh, you know, granted. You know, it's one of those things that we completely overlook in an organ. But without it, people with pancreatic cancer all too soon realize just how 
important it is you know the person on this uh, conversation who doesn't who doesn't take it for granted is charles like he is all too aware exactly how important his pancreas is and yeah and and it is essential for life it's essential for health it it just can't be compromised or else you do get this horrible horrible disease we just heard charles's story and the and the impact pancreatic cancer has had on him but Can you broaden it out a little bit more for us and explain the wider impacts this disease has? Charles touched upon a number of those statistics there that are just, you know, they're just, um, they're unfair statistics. So within three months of diagnosis, the majority of people, unfortunately, will have passed away from pancreatic cancer. So that's 50% in three months. For a cancer type in a you know a Western first world country is just a ridiculousness. It's an indictment of the way that we're detecting and treating pancreatic cancer. Seven only seven percent of people will have five year survival with pancreatic cancer. Seven percent. It's the lowest yeah. of any common cancer type. It's the most lethal cancer in the world. It is just a ridiculousness. These statistics are. You know, I think we had a pre-call around, you know, give us some scary stats and I don't need to engineer these scary stats. I don't need to brand them in any way. These are just the realities of pancreatic cancer. And it's really hard to say this while Charles is on the line here because, like, you know, he's he's having to go through this in a very incredibly real personal way. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's it's just awful. And Charles, again, has hit the nail on the head and the problem is here fundamentally is that we do we just do not detect pancreatic cancer soon enough for us to be able to intervene in an actionable way so why is this the case charles's story has really opened our eyes to how rapid this set sets in and and how critical early diagnosis is why why can't general practitioners identify pancreatic cancer well much earlier yeah it, it it it's it's incredibly difficult and i don't ever want to actually have a go at general practitioners this is more of a reflection of how hard the cancer is rather than it is you know that it's poor practice on behalf of the gps mm. it's it's the it's the fact that really pancreatic cancer has no alarm symptoms until it's very late so the only alarm symptom um, which is something that basically, as it says on the tin, is very alarming and you do something about it, is um, associated with much later stage pancreatic cancer, so jaundice. So when you turn yellow or your eyes turn yellow, you, you know, you're not able, you build, get a buildup of bile uh, within your body. That's the alarm system, but by that time it's very progressed. Early symptoms of pancreatic cancer are vague and unspecific, and they're associated with dozens, probably hundreds of other condition types that are relatively innocuous are a product of us all aging. The main symptoms are back pain, uh, unexpected weight loss, uh, indigestion, things that are just associated generally with older age, but could also be associated with, like I say, many other things. It's it's, It's asking a GP to pick a needle out of a needle stack. You were helped here, Charles, weren't you? Because you had a little bit of history with your mother, didn't you? 
Yeah, my, my, my mother actually died of pancreatic cancer. Uh, she obviously was a bit older than me. She was uh, 79 when she died. But yes, so when I was told, you know, when I saw that my pancreas was starting to play up, when I started getting the pains there, I immediately, I had it flagged. I hope it's not cancer. And I really did. So, so when I went to see my GP initially, and as, as Chris said, you know, kind of, I have to give credit to my GP because he was a diabetic specialist. And so he already understood more about pancreases maybe than some other GPs do. And he actually, because I was starting to lose weight because my pancreas wasn't working properly, because the enzymes weren't being uh, produced at, at the correct rate, plus I was getting what we call pancreatic diarrhea, which is a, a sure sign that your pancreas isn't working correctly. He immediately put me on on, on PERT, uh, which, which is a pancreatic enzyme replacement therapy uh, brand brand of that is called Creon and that basically is 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 the enzymes that your your pancreas would have produced had it been working properly but it's actually produced by a by a by a pig's pancreas and processed and it comes in tablet form and that actually saved me quite a bit because it basically it stopped me from losing weight rapidly I suppose I just wanted to follow on from that just because like I think that's a really good moment of the exception proving the rule. Like Charles there had the personal experience of being able, of his mum, to be able to help him inform um, those conversations with his healthcare professionals. And, you know, when you're coming from a place where a GP, it's very difficult for a GP to be able to even think about any of this stuff. And equally, you haven't been made aware of the symptoms or their association, what their combination can potentially mean. Then this is why we th- we have this problem. This is why we have individuals who pinball around the primary care, so in GP setting, time and time again, in as many as up to two years. So some uh, there's studies that have showed that 91% of people um, present symptoms associated with pancreatic cancer in the two years preceding their diagnosis. So they banter around the system, unable, the healthcare professionals desperately trying to find an answer for them and the individuals themselves desperately trying to find an answer for these, these knowing something's wrong. You know, sometimes there's just people know there's something wrong. And even if they are, you know, symptoms of pain or like of every time I eat now, I always get this really weird change in my, you know, stool and things like that. Things like that, you yeah. know, something's wrong. It's so difficult to action that, to turn that into something. And it's, mm. that is, is really a, a crux of the issue that we have in pancreatic cancer. It does seem as if this particular cancer has not had the attention that other cancers have had. I mean, in terms of early detection and survivability, from what you've told us, it sounds a long way behind the limited successes we've had with other types of cancers. It's a really hard thing to unpick why that is, but I agree. It's a reality of working in pancreatic cancer. It's a reality of working across less survivable cancers, actually, as well, that there is an associated, I suppose, nihilism. And I don't know if Charles ever kind of experienced this in his journey as well, but quite often people experience that just like they hear pancreatic cancer as a healthcare professional, they know how bad it is. And there is just so little that can be done or perceived that can be done. Maybe I should say yes. that perceived yeah, that, should, that can be done. Yes. That so little is done about it. Whereas 
that is just incorrect. So Charles has already um, identified one of the key areas of the problem with um, pancreatic cancer is your inability to digest food. If yeah. you cannot digest food, you will go downhill rapidly. You will starve. And there's an actual medical, it's a, it's a metabolic disorder called cachexia that lots of people with pancreatic cancer get. And in fact, it's the thing that kills most of the people with pancreatic cancer is this starvation that comes along associated with pancreatic cancer. But you yes. can simply overcome that by a tablet every time you have a meal. Right. Yeah. The PERT treatment that you mentioned earlier. Yes. And then you will have the nutrients and you'll be resilient enough like Charles was to have what would normally knock a rhino down in terms of chemotherapy. Like mm. they are like incredibly robust chemotherapy regimes, but yeah. you are not going to give anyone a chance to withstand them and to benefit from what is very toxic, but very good effective chemotherapies if you don't give someone the ability to put on weight to put on muscle to be able to just simply resist uh, the toxic effect of a combination of chemotherapies and, and, and then the other thing is as you said with, with, with the health aspect i'm totally healthy at the moment although i've got these tumors growing in me i feel totally healthy yesterday i walked six miles and uh, um i'm keeping my weight on i i don't even feel as if i've got cancer I'd, you know I, like i felt before and that's because i take these pert tablets i've been taking them i have also insulin as a result of my whipples procedure but um now i'm going to go into this again an aggressive chemo uh schedule and actually in a way i feel a lot more happier going into it this time because i'm well enough to go into it whereas when i when i went into into the last chemo which was going to be which was stronger than this one i'm going to go through now you know i already already lost so much weight uh because of the operation i had to relearn to eat again because the body had to learn how to digest again uh within six weeks and then suddenly i'm on uh full furanox for, for for six months and i was only at about i think it was about nine and a half stone at that time because i couldn't eat for all that time uh whilst our post post uh surgery Whereas now I'm a lot healthier and those tablets make the difference. If I stop those tablets today, I'll start losing weight tomorrow. So when people aren't given the pancreatic um, uh, replacement enzyme therapy, then they're already on a back foot. That's the other thing is not everybody can have the Whipple's procedure. And one of the reasons why is not everybody's healthy enough to go through that operation. And yet, as Chris said, you could actually keep people healthy enough in advance to have that operation. One issue is that not everyone has access to private medical insurance. No, but this was all done on the NHS. Up, uh, I went into the private medical when I had to have that Whipple's procedure ASAP, not in two to three months time. So up to that point, I was within the NHS. And, you know, I, apart from the delays and getting caught up in a system, you know, the, some of the people I worked uh, who worked with me on, on my pancreatic cancer were, were, were excellent, like my GP, like, like, the, like a Professor Giles Teed um, at Hammersmith, and even my consultant at Kingston. But when it comes to then waiting lists and all the other problems with the NHS and the funding and etc., then 
yes, I was grateful to have uh, Bupa, Private Medical. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here now. I have to say, the delay would have cost me my life. It's given me, it's given me two more years, maybe three more years. But hey, three, three more years is better than three months. And I think as well, it's like, it's maybe, it's, it's, I suppose you've got to think about it holistically. I, I do, I understand your kind of point there, John, but I, I suppose what you can use it as is an example of, of what we, sh what everyone does deserve, what everyone yes. should be getting. Yes. Um, and, and it, what, what it's, it, what it's able to give uh, Charles and his family as a result of that is so much more than the vast majority of people like again I'll yes. repeat it because the majority of people over 50% do not survive three months after their diagnosis and Charles has been you know lucky enough to have two years and hopefully many more as a result of that of that ability to make sure that the pathway as well as the treatments and the earliness of it mm. is done effectively. And, and, and this is why, you know, you, you mentioned the whole private side. I've been fortunate to have that, but I want to see that available to everybody in the NHS. I want everybody to have the treatment that I had and the timings of that treatment that I had. Because if we don't, it could be, it could be a relative of yours, it could be a relative of mine or somebody else who's as dear to you that might not be as fortunate to have what I had. And that's not good enough. So that's why the time I've got left, whatever it is, I am dedicating my, 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 my spare time, apart from obviously to the company, um, to uh, Pancreatic Cancer UK, because we have to get the messaging out. And whatever I can do, whether it's lobbying Parliament, whether it's working with some of the research uh, teams through Chris, uh, that I'm involved with, whether it's working with the NHS critical care pathway team that I'm involved with, I will continue to do that until obviously I, no, I'm too old to do to, to do it. But it's critical that we basically try and push this as in front of as many people as we can, especially now with COVID, in, in, you know, complicating matters, increasing the timescales to get. Uh, to get cancer treatment, to get scans, you know, that that is going to cost a lot more, lot more lives that could be given a few more years to live or five years to live, seven years or even more than that as medicine improves. We've talked about the difficulties around diagnosis and treatment of pancreatic cancer, but but is there any light at the end of this tunnel? Has there been progress with research? Yeah, I mean, I believe so. We often get, you know, this unfortunately it's a reality of of our work as an organisation that we have to um, deal with the example that Charles has just articulated, unfortunately, time and time again. But I genuinely do believe there are areas where we can hope. And I think now that we are getting a better understanding of people at risk of pancreatic cancer. So who those people are how we define them and what we do with them. Because previously we kind of knew there were some groups of people who had a predisposition towards potentially getting pancreatic cancer in the future, but really we didn't do the research and didn't have the clinical understanding to know what to do with them or even to know when they transitioned into a person at risk to a person who was actually on the borderline of becoming cancerous. We didn't really know how to do those things. 
And I think now one of the really interesting areas going forward that we have invested in previously, other organisations have invested in, we will continue to invest in, invest in in the future, is around looking at people at risk. So Charles already articulated it, people with new onset diabetes is a really interesting yeah. area. And I thought it was interesting that that was a part of Charles's kind it. of yep. journey as well. And Charles, I want to ask you, based on your experience, do you have any advice for friends or, or family, the, the support network of someone who might get cancer or indeed the business that they work for? Was there any help and support you received that was particularly useful or meaningful outside the purely medical treatment that you received? Uh, well, within, within Fugro, uh, I had the support from the company that basically took all the stress and pressure off me completely, allowed me to concentrate on my recovery, and also gave me the option for when I wanted to work, I could work. And that is also important because when you're going through treatment, you need to focus on something as well outside of your cancer. And being able to focus on work and adding value there Rest, actually in a way, rest your mind from thinking about the treatments and what you're going through. And thanks to Fugro, it, it gave me a fantastic, you know, kind of balance where I could work when I felt well enough. If I didn't work, there's no pressure put on me at all. Fine, just take it easy, whatever. Even if you want to work for a few hours a day and then you decide you can't work anymore, just log off and, and, and take it easy. And that, that helps so much. Plus, obviously, all my colleagues within Fugro, their support of, you know, on Teams, on, on phone calls, actually visiting me in, in hospital uh, was a big boost. I have to say a big boost because then you're not alone. Because one of the things probably a lot of people feel, uh, even I did, is that you're alone. When you, when, you, when, you, when you start this process of going through cancer treatment, you're alone because nobody understands what you're going through. And most people don't physically, but if they can give you some, you know, build up your morale and kind of even have a discussion outside of the chemo bubble or the cancer bubble, that is so important. That makes such a big difference. And lastly, Chris and Charles, can you share a few steps that you would like to see people take to help increase awareness and, and support for this cause? I suppose from my perspective the mere fact that anyone listens to this hears Charles story engages and understands more of the even if they just comprehend a a shade of the problem of pancreatic cancer from this then that is a really good job done because actually no one can quite comprehend quite how bad pancreatic cancer is in the UK and across the world, I guess. So I think the, the mere fact that people are engaging and listening is a huge issue because we just simply have, even haven't had that for the longest while and hence why we've had such low survival rates, I think, as well. More specifically, if you can help us, like Charles has been doing for ages now, in raising awareness through campaigns, to signing up things through Pancreatic Cancer UK, to supporting us 
if not even necessarily making donations, but but supporting the organisation, what we do through our our policy, our campaigning, through influencing government to recognise the issue of pancreatic cancer and have that reflected in their investments of the NHS and within research generally. That's incredibly important to us. So like kind of coming on the journey with us, like Charles has done in his experience, and let's band together and do something about this as well. And just be aware. That's all I, I think, that's all I can really ask. I can't ask much around because there are no alarm symptoms, but just be aware of like, if something's not right and you know, you're losing weight and something's wrong with your digestion, like don't wait, do something about it because whatever it is, it's something. And if you can diagnose that quicker, then everything's diagnosed quicker is better. And if it's pancreatic cancer, then it really bloody matters that you diagnose it sooner. So I suppose that what that's what I would say. And uh, and I'll say is if you start turning diabetic, you know, you're moving into that type two diabetes, just talk to your doctor because that can be an early sign. You know, it might be a very early trigger that something's not right with your pancreas. And and the only other thing is I would say is, you know, research and innovation costs money. It does whether you you know whether it's a pharmaceutical company or a or a, a trust, or like the Imperial College Trust, for example, uh, who I've got experience with, or a charity like Pancreatic Cancer UK, please donate because without without funds, research can't happen, and we need we need the funds for the research because because of the complexity of pancreatic cancer, it's going to take a lot of research, and uh, the number of people I spoke to within the NHS at, in, at the trust level is is that's you know it. We need more money. We need more money from the government, hence why I'm helping to lobby there. But we also need more money to, you know, from the pharmaceutical companies and from individuals where, wherever they can spare up some cash. That's a very good point and a worthy cause. If any of our listeners want to support Pancreatic Cancer UK and the work that they do, please check out the show notes for a link to Fugro's Just Giving page. Now, we've reached the end of the episode and I'd like to thank you in particular, Charles, for sharing your story. It's incredible that despite everything, indeed, yes, Perhaps because of everything you've been that you've been through, you are devoting so much time to supporting Pancreatic Cancer UK and raising awareness of this terrible disease. We need to see improvement in the detection and treatment of pancreatic cancer, and it is good to learn from you, Chris. Thank you about the efforts being made by so many remarkable people to try and improve survivability and the condition of patients. Some improvements are all in our hands, educating ourselves about our own health risks, helping people who fall sick at work and in our personal lives. What more is there to say? Good luck to both of you 
we do expect to see you, Chris, back here with Charles to tell us all about it next year. So until that time, until next time, be safe, be remarkable, be the difference.